Hi, I'm Justin Rosso, and welcome to this episode of the Next Step Podcast, where we help you take a next step. This is Season 2, Episode 3, and we'll be focused on the hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness. This episode was originally supposed to air back in June, but it's already September. Our guest, Dr. Reed Lessing, is a pastor and professor. He's also a Hebrew scholar and has written scholarly commentaries on the books of Jonah and Amos, a multi-volume work on Isaiah, and he just finished writing a commentary on the book of Jeremiah. We couldn't get Dr. Lessing earlier this spring because he just took a call from the parish to be a professor of theology at Concordia University, St. Paul. So we're glad Reed has made himself available to us today. I had Dr. Lessing for my very first Hebrew class at the seminary. It was the year he joined the faculty there, so we were kind of newbies together. And it's a great opportunity to circle back and say hi to an old friend. I'm sure you'll love the way he pulls scripture together, the way he has Hebrew just on his lips and in his heart, but his pastoral way of drawing connections throughout scripture. Today is early September in Michigan and fall fell. It is cool and gray. Uh, After Labor Day weekend, most of the boats are off the lake. We've still got our dock out, but only a few short weeks before we'll put that away for the year. Well, wherever you are today, whatever the weather's like, whatever season of life you're in, welcome. I'm glad you're here. As we get a chance to sit at the feet of Dr. Reed Lessing, and talk about what it means for God to be faithful in his promises. Thanks for being here today. Reed Lessing is with us today in the Next Step Podcast. Dr. Lessing, welcome. It's good to be with you, Justin. Uh, And tell me where in the world you are today. I am in St. Paul, Minnesota on the campus of Concordia University. And that's why I couldn't get you earlier this summer. You just made that move. Congratulations. Well, thank you very much. Uh, When do classes start there for you? September 8th, face-to-face, God willing, throughout the whole semester. Wow, that's that's good news. Well, it's such a great thing, a pleasure to have you on the podcast today, Reed. Thanks for being here. You've been at the Sem, you've been in the parish ministry, and and now you're back teaching at Concordia. Uh, I'm so excited to talk to you today about Lamentations 3. Uh, hey, before I pray and we get going, would you would you please remind our listeners where Lamentations is kind of in the biblical story and what's going on? Sure. So uh, most people think that uh, the prophet Jeremiah wrote the book of Lamentations, and Jeremiah lived uh, through the late 7th, early 6th century exiles. There were actually four exiles of Judeans to the land of Babylon, and Lamentations then would come after uh, the exile that uh, was initiated by the Babylonians and resulted in the destruction, I mean thorough destruction, of Jerusalem and the Solomonic Temple in 587 BC. After that, probably, uh, Jeremiah composed the Book of Lamentations. So this is Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, and we're in the southern kingdom now. The northern kingdom's already gone off into exile, and there's been several waves. And this is after the last wave of Babylonian exile, where everything's really been just really annihilated. That's where we are in the story. Very much so. Let's pray. Come, Holy Spirit, open our hearts and minds. Be present in our conversation. Uh, will you please lead us and guide us and, and give us what you would give us today? You inspired these words to be written. Will you please inspire our hearts also to understand them and to grasp them and to hold on to Jesus through them? 
Thanks for being with us today. Amen. I remember my affliction and my wondering, the bitterness and the gall. I will remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail, they are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him. To the one who seeks him, it is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Hmm. Thanks. Uh, just reading that, those verses, is there anything that jumped out at you personally this, this time through? I do know a little bit about the book, um, <laughs> having, you know, studied it, but but not in great depth. Uh, but I do know, of course, there are five chapters in Hebrew literature, sometimes, though not uh, universally so, but sometimes the meat is in the middle. The most important piece uh, is smack dab right in the middle. Uh, so really, before and after these verses in Lamentations, uh, would be a lot of lamenting and, and weeping and protesting and crying out uh, to God uh, for why uh, such catastrophe uh, fell upon his people. But here it is, right in the middle of the book, uh, would be the hope. And my gosh, uh, these are some of the most uh, hopeful words in the entire Bible. Uh, they just jump out uh, with uh, uh, hopefulness and faith and uh, give people resiliency to endure a, an experience that we have really no way of finally defining. I mean, losing literally everything. Thanks for that image. You know, it did strike me. Here, here we are. The hymn is great as thy faithfulness, and we're turning to Lamentations, one of the most sorrowful, emotionally distressed book of the Bible. And right in the middle is this promise. And what a great image. The meat is in the middle. I knew that Hebrew poetry does this. Sometimes the lines will, uh, that, that kind of X shape or chiasm that where the, the real most important stuff is right in the middle. I didn't realize whole books did that too. That's really cool. Yeah, right. Uh, Lamentations would be the only book that actually uh, does something like this. I almost get the picture that Jeremiah has been, you know, tearing his clothes and, and, and putting dust on his head and crying out. And here in the middle, he's got kind of this, this quiet moment between his tears where he's finding his hope and trust in God. It's a pretty powerful moment in, in the whole book. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, it certainly uh, brings to mind the events uh, in the book of Exodus where uh, the Israelites are getting ready to leave the promised land. I'm sorry, leave Egypt for the promised land. Right, right. And uh, uh, Moses tells them in Exodus 14, 14, uh, the Lord will fight for you and you have only to be silent. So, of course, Psalm 46, verse 10 comes to mind. Be still and know that I am God. So the idea going on in Lamentations 3 is uh, very typical of, of biblical text where they draw on earlier motifs and promises and themes and words to express their current 
reality. So if Jeremiah is saying it's good to wait patiently for the salvation of the Lord, well, you you've certainly have echoes and allusions to Israel leaving Egypt. Uh, because right before, uh, you know, Exodus 14, 14, it says, um, uh, see the salvation of the Lord. Right, which is okay. exactly what uh, Jeremiah is doing in uh, yeah. Lamentations three, twenty six. In fact, the first time you have this word the salvation in the Bible is right here. Uh, so there are always uh, uh, reflections of the Exodus event when you see this uh, term salvation. It means that uh, impossible situations are going to turn around for our good, um, would be one way to define salvation. Um, so yes, it's, it's just a, a great idea. And then, of course, going to Psalm 46, where the mountains give way and the earth falls, you know, into the depths of the sea and uh, nations are uh, uh, shaking and trembling and uh, really uh, it's it's uh, chaos all over the place. Uh, the only time in Psalm 46 where uh, God actually speaks first person uh, would be in verse 10, which is another way to highlight the emphasis on that psalm. Be still. And, and that the word there means literally make yourself limp. Because I can be still and still be pretty uptight. <laughs> but to make yourself limp, right, is is a much different feeling and sensation. So in all likelihood, Jeremiah is mining these uh, nuggets of gold from earlier texts to tell us the, the, the same way of responding. Uh, it, it goes to, and then I'll stop here, but I can't help but think of, you know, 1 Samuel 17, uh, 47, the battle belongs to the Lord. Uh, well, if it's his battle, and then we're back to Exodus 14, 14, and it's his fight, what else can we do <laughs> but wait silently? Silently, patiently, even even being limp, like not a silent anxiety, but a silent dependence, I, I guess. And, and Reed, as you're talking about all of that, I couldn't help thinking, although it's not as direct a connection, certainly theologically, I, I went right to Easter Saturday. I, I don't think it's by accident that our Lord rested on the Sabbath, that he died and then was buried. And it was on Saturday, the day of rest that he spent in the tomb. And, and certainly there is a place of waiting for a, a dramatic turnaround that brings salvation to God's people. That's a quite literally laying limp, needing Yahweh to come and rescue because you can't do anything for yourself. And so as we as we find ourselves in those stressful times and, and lamenting and crying out to find that moment of peace, in some ways I wonder if the Spirit isn't shaping us into that that rest of Jesus, even that Easter Saturday rest where we can't do anything of our of our own selves and we're limp, and we're waiting for rescue to come outside of ourselves. Certainly, and and I think, you know, you say things, and that uh, brings uh, to mind things for me, and vice versa. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I can't help but think 
of the the whole institution of the Sabbaths. I mean, I for years I thought there was just the Sabbath, right? The a weekly Sabbath. But the Old Testament talks about a seven-year Sabbath and then, of course, a 49-year Sabbath. So if you're reading the Bible in the Old Testament and you come across Sabbath plural, as in Sabbaths, uh, that's not a typo. Um, th- this is actually part of the rhythm of life to live depending on uh, the God of Jeremiah and the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's so counterintuitive. I don't want to rest. I want to keep going. Yeah, I, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm independent. I'm, I'm an American. Uh, right, uh, right. I've got a declaration of independence. <laughs> um, but Jeremiah, going back to Lamentations, in large part, and I just, I, I finished a book on Jeremiah uh, for Concordia Publishing House in St. Louis, Missouri, uh, earlier this year. So I've I've been <laughs> drinking a lot yeah. of Jeremiah, but Jeremiah in chapters uh, 27 and 28 brings to bear this whole idea that we're exploring, the idea of dependence. Surrender is the key word uh, that Jeremiah uses in chapters 27 and 28, Raise the white flag. Stop fighting. This is what Jesus told Paul when Paul recounts for the third time his Damascus Road experience uh, in Acts chapter 26. Why are you kicking against the goads, right? Uh, why, why are you still struggling and fighting? Uh, it's just a miserable way to live. So yeah, Jeremiah really takes us uh, pretty deeply into this, as as do any number of biblical texts. In many ways, the library of, of Scripture we call the Bible is built to be read together. But as you were you were talking there, and and this is going to bring us right back to Lamentations three. But first, I want to go through the door of Isaiah forty six, where, where Yahweh says, "You who are born by me from your birth." carried from the womb. Talk about dependence. Talk about not being able to do anything for yourselves. Uh, Even to your old age, I am he, and to gray hairs, I will carry you. I have made, and I will bear. I will carry, and I will save. There's that salvation word again. completely overturning your current situation with something new that complete dependence there in the womb and that takes me to to here in lamentations 3 there's a very unique word i think in in the hebrew here we have it his compassions never fail look in different translations and you'll get his mercies or even his his unfailing love it it can be translated several different ways But if I remember correctly, and and I think a friend of mine pointed this out to me in your Jonah commentary, although perhaps you've done it in a couple other places, but I think that word in Hebrew for compassion uh, is kind of a unique vocabulary word. Would you take me through what's going on there? Right, yeah. So uh, the Hebrew word there is rakum, which is a a major gospel term in the Old Testament. So for our listeners, we're not stretching uh, out into the the bleachers here. We're we're right at home plate when we're talking about mercies. 
Yeah. Hey, I, you know, I, I just finished a book on delight and, and part of, of that book I, I did, I kind of went through and found some of these places and, and these are key. This is, this is Moses talking to the people right before they go into the promised land. He, and he reminds them when they sin to fall back on, on God's character and his mercy and compassion or, or King David, the, the Psalm after the Bathsheba incident, uh, we, you know, we say, create me a clean heart. Oh God, this is the, because of your great compassion or because of your unfailing love, that's that's that word there. Or, or Nehemiah after the exile. Ezra reads the book of the law and Nehemiah prays. And as he recounts the history of God's people time and time and time again, he says, and we sinned and we turned away and, and you brought punishment to bring us back. And then in your unfailing mercy, in your great compassion, in your never failing love, same Hebrew word, this is that word that comes back again and again at very key places in the story. Oh, no doubt. Right. And and it's even actually, as you alluded to, uh, in uh, Israel's chief confession of who God is in Exodus chapter 34, verses uh, 6 and 7. Uh, he's uh, uh, gracious and compassionate and, and merciful. Uh, so, yes, yes. And um, so the idea is that uh, obviously um, this word has a history uh, and it's related to the Hebrew word for a mother's womb, uh, which sounds like this, rekum. Uh, and we're talking about rakum, rekum, womb, rakum, mercy. Uh, so, in any number of Israelites' minds, we can only assume that when they heard about rakum, mercy, uh, they would be reminded of a mother's womb. So, yeah, and that's getting this back to Jeremiah in Lamentations. Uh, he talks about how um, God's compassions never fail. His, his mercy, his this uh, emotional and physical connectedness that God has with us, they're new every morning. Yeah, yeah. You know, you know, God certainly re- reveals Himself as Father and 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 as King, and this this female motherly imagery is really powerful too. And the fact that it's part of God's core nature, character, seems to me to be important as well. That this mercy, this tender mercy of a mother for her little infant, even in the womb, is something that God feels for us. That's a powerful gospel gospel image. Well, Reed, we've gone down several different paths and been all over Scripture. I'd like to just turn the page briefly. I'd love to continue our conversation, but I'd also like to get to this devotion. It's on page 26. So the uh, the devotion picks up on one of, the, one of the phrases from the hymn. It's called, No Shadow of Turning in Thee. Change is everywhere, and change can be exhausting. I look around me, and all I see is change. My job changes, my family changes, my daily routines change, my relationships change. I look inside myself, and all I see is change. My expectations change, my feelings change, my hopes, my plans, my memories, my goals, my sense of identity and purpose and peace, everything that makes me me is subject to whim and chance and entropy and decay. I have counted on other people and been crushed by their sin and failure. I have counted on myself and been equally devastated by my own sin and failure. Everywhere I look, inside and out, I find shifting sand. 
the immutable, eternal, unchanging God stepped into human flesh and human change. Jesus made himself susceptible to the whims of sinful people and the failure of friends and the entropy of death. Jesus entered into human change because his heart stays the same. From the foundation of the world, Jesus has not wavered in his love for me. My sin can't change Jesus. My change of heart can't chase Jesus off. My failure can't turn Jesus aside. Jesus is passionately and compassionately faithful. His faithfulness cannot change. Thanks be to God. Uh, that devotion picks up a little bit on this idea of change and, and that we experience often as a bad thing and then the unchanging characteristic of God. And that brings me back to a question that, that I think I've heard you talk about too and I wanted to get some clarity on. It, it's kind of difficult to wrap your, your mind around this unchanging God and the changing seasons or even something as simple as new every morning and, and yet faithful. How is something consistent and immutable if it's new every morning? Uh, how does God not change and be unchanging? And still, there are, seems to be places where God does change for us or for our good. So could, could you clue me into a little bit of this dichotomy of changing and unchanging and how that might work in the Bible? Yeah, right. No, thank you for that devotion and... Uh... Thank you for going into Jeremiah's words, great is your faithfulness. So we, we certainly define faithfulness as being dependable and people of our word and unchanging. And yet we, we find several different uh, viewpoints on this or perspectives in the Bible uh, certainly on one of your, your pages here, you've got the uh, picture of the four trees, thou right, changest yeah. not, and yeah. then the Malachi 3, 6, I, the Lord, do not change. And to, to break this down, uh, we would uh, say that Malachi 3, 6 teaches that God's characteristics, his attributes, his nature uh, never changes. Uh, the the God that we have been talking about, whose primary accent is upon faithfulness and compassion uh, and mercies, uh, those uh, will never change. Uh, so we would want to make that clear that God's characteristics don't change. But then anyone who picks up a Bible and starts reading will find out that the texts talk about God changing. <laughs> For example, in the book of Jonah, in uh, chapter 3, verse 10, God changes. He relents. The King James Version would actually say God repents, but that's uh, uh, obviously in the wrong direction, uh, 400 years after the King James Version. So most of our English versions now uh, speak in terms of uh, retract or change his mind or relent. But it's the same Hebrew. I repent is to, to change direction or turn and turn around, and, and God can repent of doing bringing calamity. Well, yeah, actually, it is a different Hebrew word. Oh, okay. Yeah, right. so repent... 
it sounds like this shuv appears about 800 times in the Old Testament. And so uh, most of the time when, when it says people repented, that's the Hebrew word behind it. But uh, the Hebrew word here behind God's changing of direction or relenting would sound like this nakam. And so what we have is God changing from law to gospel. Again, not changing his characteristics. We uh, put our anchor in Malachi 3 verse 6, but with the anchor there, we can then, uh, to use the metaphor, extend a little bit into the water and uh, (laughs) test our boat on the waves and read our Bible, realizing that there are times, uh, any number of times actually, like the book of Jonah, where God says, you know, 40 days and Nineveh will be changed. That's uh, Jonah 3 verse 4. And uh, lo and behold, the Ninevites repent, they shuv, there's that Hebrew word, and then God relents. Uh, This is exactly what happens in uh, the golden calf apostasy or turning away in Exodus chapter 32. Uh, Moses actually commands God to relent, Nakam. And Moses is the only guy who can do this in the Old Testament. No one else does this. And God actually does it. Uh, Exodus 32.12 is the command. 32.14 is the action. So, as we've now accented several times, God, when he either has the right intercessor, like Moses, Exodus 32, or people themselves respond, uh, like Jonah, uh, God will change from judgment to grace. And this is just amazing. In fact, this feature of God actually makes it into Israel's statement of who God is. As we said earlier, Exodus 34, 6 and 7 would be the so-called creed of Israel. Um, But then Joel 2, 13 and Jonah 4, verse 2 uh, add to the creed, uh, saying that God relents of evil. God relents of evil. Tell me more about that. (laughs) Okay, I'd love to. So when God relents He does it based upon compassion. Now, that's just a a huge idea for us to understand who God is. The Hebrew word nakam, as we've said, relent, also has a shade of meaning that includes compassion and kindness. Same word appears in Isaiah 40, verse 1. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. So when God relents... He changes from judgment to grace. He does it with compassion. Uh, We've all changed our minds before, and a lot of times we do it while we kind of grit our teeth and we uh, stoke our anger and, well, okay, I'll change this one time. That's Yeah, fine, you can have it your way. (laughs) But that's not the God we're talking about. The God of the Bible changes with compassion. So so that's the first, you know, piece of, of... my answer. The second piece, the evil, uh, we would understand that in terms of calamity, judgment, uh, destruction, devastation, and God can and often does change uh, from, we would say, from law to gospel. 
So the evil in this case is not like moral evil. This is God's righteous judgment. It, he said it was coming. They didn't turn around. He's bringing punishment, just punishment for sins. That can be in Hebrew also called evil, ra'ah. It's, it's not like morally bad. It's God's judgment on on what we would consider moral evil. Is that right? Exactly. Again, of course, it's a, a very uh, uh, common word in the Old Testament, and sometimes it can mean moral evil. <laughs> but with God, <laughs> not at all. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, so the, the picture I'm getting of God is that he is both of these things at the same time, at once unchanging in his character and who he is and how he relates to his creation. And I think even some of these seasons, I mean, the fact that we can count on them, the fact that the sun rises tomorrow and and will set tonight, that regular change, the change of seasons even, is a sign of God's faithfulness in creation. And at the same time, that this change from law to gospel, when God changes, it's in compassion for the people that, that God loves. When you were talking, of course, I thought of Abraham and, and saying, well, well, what about, you know, what about 20 people? Can I get you down to 10? Or if there's 10 people, will, will you relent? Will you not bring calamity? Will you not bring your judgment? So for us who deserve judgment in our sin, to know that God does relent, God does change from law to gospel for us because of Jesus, it's also a gospel promise that God changes his mind, that he relents from bring, bringing calamity. Oh, exactly. No, that's a great summary. There's a, a, a wrench in all of this. <laughs> there are eight times in the Old Testament where God says he doesn't nakam. Mm. He, he, and he won't. So then, all right, let's penetrate and dig down a little bit deeper. So of these eight times, five describe his refusal to change his judgment concerning 587 BC, which takes us back to Lamentations 3. So there comes a point in Israel's history where God says, all right, I've relented enough. I'm actually weary of relenting. And now the Babylonians are going to come. Yeah. So five times the the term is used there where God says, I'm not going to do it anymore. One time in Psalm 110 verse 4, which is... Uh, Martin Luther calls this the chief psalm of our Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, the the most important psalm in the New Testament, where we have, uh, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. I'll make Mm -hmm. enemies a footstool for you. That's Psalm 110, verse 1. And Jesus uses that to argue that he is David's son and David's Lord. Mm -hmm. But in verse 4, this Jesus is not only David's son and David's Lord, he's a priest according to the order of Melchizedek. And God says, I'm not going to change my mind on that. That's a done deal. All right. No relenting there. No relenting there. Uh, No relenting when we come to 587 Mm -hmm. after repeated attempts to get people to shove or turn. But then there are two remaining verses, Numbers 23 and 1 Samuel 15. Um, And and those are the tougher verses. Hmm. So in a nutshell, Numbers 23, 19 indicates that God has set his affection and blessing upon Abraham and his descendants, and God's not going to change that. Hmm. And 1 Samuel 15, 29 where, where God says, I have made a promise to the house of David. 
So if you think about this, it's just amazing that the New Testament begins with, this is the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. (sighs) So there you've got it. These unconditional promises are guarded, we might say, through God's statement, he will not nakam on this. Numbers 23, 1 Samuel 15 which then is the backbone of the gospel. Jesus is the son of Abraham, the son of David. It's really, when, when I first came across this, it was, and it still is, just kind of talking about it this afternoon. It's amazing that, that you could read the Old Testament and say, well, God's made all these really great promises to Abraham and, and David, but Boy, if he could relent on any number of occasions, I, he could actually relent on that. Yeah. And, and the Old Testament says, nope, not going to happen. Not going to happen. And that gets us back then to, to the unchanging love, the, the solid promise, the promise you can take to the bank, the, the you are forgiven, you are redeemed, you are buried with Christ and raised with him. You have a promise that you can count on, that you can hang your hat on, that you can take to the bank. This is not, God has committed himself to you in Jesus. He's not going to come on that one. He's not going back on this promise uh, that is given through Jesus, son of, son of David, son of Abraham. Exactly. Exactly. Wow. Yeah. What, what, yep. what beautiful strength. Uh, in the midst of our change, in the midst of what's going on in our world right now, everything that's changing around us, to have that not unrelenting promise is what a wonderful blessing. Reed, you are uh, exhausting to listen to. I love listening to you. I love how you have scripture just available to you in your fingertips. I love your pastor's heart. Uh, as as we come to a close in our time today, just looking back on our conversation, is there is there anything in this that we've looked at, the, the devotion or lamentations or all the other places we've been in Scripture? Uh, do you sense there's a small next step that Jesus might have for you going into a, a new school year? Oh, no doubt. No doubt. Um, you had alerted me to this question before mm. we began the interview, mm. and I thought, well, I wonder what's going to come to mind. It would certainly be this uh, verse in Lamentations 3.26. It is good to wait quietly for the mm-hmm. salvation of the Lord. Um, so to raise the white flag again and uh, realize that um, it's really finally not up to me. Mm-hmm. I'll get up in the morning. I'll do what I need to do. But I'm not going to. Uh, f- why should I worry? Why should I fret? Yeah. Um, because I've got a mansion builder who ain't through with me yet. Well, those are, those are some almost archaic Christian lyrics from a group called the Second Chapter of Acts. Um, but uh, I love those lyrics, and, and they kind of encapsulate what Lamentations 3.26 means to me. Thanks. Thanks for that image. Because we have a God who's made unrelenting promises in Jesus, we can even run up the white flag and and give up our own struggle and our own desire to you know pull ourselves up by our spiritual bootstraps and 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 uh make make sure we get ourselves into a into a good place we can trust the god the god of promise reed is always a pleasure well worth waiting for god bless your school year god bless your ministry and i'd love to talk to you again soon thank you justin god's blessings to you and your wonderful family That was Dr. Reed Lessing, Professor of Theology at Concordia University, St. Paul. 
that conversation took us from the middle of the book of Lamentations to the book of Exodus and Jonah to Numbers and 1 Samuel to the book of Isaiah and of Matthew. And throughout it all, we saw again and again how compassion, that that motherly compassion for an infant child, even in the womb, is a core characteristic of our God, our God who is faithful, our God who is true to, to the promises he has given us. We talked about what it means to have a God who invites us to shuv, repent, turn back, turn around, and come back to him so that he might nakam, relent from sending calamity, turn from law to gospel. For our God will never nakam. He will never relent from the promise we have in Jesus Christ. Thanks, Reed, for taking us on that scriptural tour de force. Today's episode, like all episodes of the Next Step podcast, was made possible in part by the generous support of Next Step patrons. Patrons choose to give a regular amount every month to make this kind of Next Step content available. If now is the right time for you to consider supporting Next Step Press and our mission and ministry, please check the link in the description below. We'd love to have you as a part of the Next Step family as we help people delight in taking a small next step following Jesus. But before you go today, I want to remind you that you can take a small next step in this confidence. You don't have to fight any longer. You can run the white flag up the pole. You can give up and give in and fall completely limp on the promises of the God who holds you in strong and confident hands. In Jesus, God will never turn back or turn away from the promises that you have, now and forever. Thanks for joining us today. We'll see you next time at Next Step Press.